leadership this day. We appreciate all of these who bless us in such a powerful way. Thank you so much. As you see on the cover of your bulletin, we're continuing our series called Pros and Cons. And as we've said, I think it's so important to be aware of this in the new year because always, not only in a life of faith, but with everything we do, we have voices within us, pros and cons that are always doing battle. And and which voices do we listen to? As we've said, with every good intention, that con voice comes along and says, ah, don't do anything about it. Don't follow through. Leave it a thought. Don't turn it into an action. For every dream, the convoy says, now you know that can't happen. You're being silly. Nothing ever changes. We need to be aware of the pros and cons. And particularly today, we're thinking about patience and waiting on the Lord in times of incredible stress. And boy, there's no other time that these pros and con voices are going on between us. So to kind of help us get into our subject of patience and waiting, we've come up with a list. Again, loosely, we're following this thing that Jimmy Fallon does. And as I have shared every week to those that are here, Jimmy Fallon has an army of really good comedy writers that help their material be really good. This is written by a couple of preachers who are not nearly as funny as we think we are, so have mercy and kindness on us. Let's look at our pros and cons of patience and waiting. Here's the first pro. Looking both ways, fewer accidents, lower insurance premiums. Here's the con. You know you're going to get honked at. Okay, I drive like Mr. Magoo. I understand that. That happens all the time. Here's the next one. Uh, Pros, you don't scald the roof of your mouth with pizza cheese. Here's the con, cold pizza. Okay, here's the next one. The price of that new TV may come down. That's the pro, con. It may sell out or a bigger, more expensive TV might catch your eye. So anyway, that is ever before us. But I want to just think about learning how to wait, particularly in moments of incredible stress. Those of you that know me know that I love American history. I love to study the American presidency. And so I'm always fascinated at presidential inaugurations. And so I got up from the beginning of the morning all day long, watched every bit of it, watched the protests yesterday, just taking in all of that. I always remember my first inaugural that I watched on TV, I was 12 years old. It was Richard Nixon's first inaugural in 18, in 19, not 18. <laughs> I get to 18. In 1969, I was actually in sixth grade home with the flu. And I actually watched that and I've been hooked ever since. And it's amazing as I, as I watch people respond, um, so many of the traditions and the transition of power Um, speak to me of the greatness of our nation, particularly when someone with a different mindset or ideology takes power. And I always just go back to to moments in American history that speak to me. And as I watched particularly some of the protests on yesterday, I kept thinking back to the presidential election of 1864. Maybe the darkest month of American history was August of 1864. You remember that is about a, about a year past uh, the, the victory at Gettysburg and Vicksburg, and many thought the war was going to be over, but it wasn't. It continued on. And in August of 1864, Abraham Lincoln had been nominated as Republican nominee, but there was huge anger about him across the land. There were protests and marches in every large city. 
They took statues of Lincoln and they set them on fire. They cursed him and they hated him. People in his own party said, there's no way that you can win. You need to resign now. And so the nation was so angry. And if you remember that time, the siege of Richmond had started and it was terribly much loss of life. And it seemed to just be a military stalemate. It seemed on the surface that everything was wrong. And Abraham Lincoln was under enormous pressure. And he did something really fascinating that month. He wrote a letter out and to every cabinet member and he sealed it and he gave it to them and said, I don't want you to open this unless we lose the election in November. And in the letter he wrote, I, I don't expect to be reelected. But when you read this, there's not going to be a military takeover. There's not going to be a coup. We're not going to take power. We're going to follow the constitutional transition. There will be a new president taking office. And we need to know between now and the new president takes over, we need to get this war settled. Because if we don't finish it, if we don't settle it, the new president will certainly change our direction and everything we believe in will be lost. And I read that letter and those words, he was in that place of impossibility, hated, reviled by his closest friends. There seemed to be no way out. And in that moment, Abraham Lincoln just did what he thought was right and he waited on the Lord. Strength under fire is one of the characteristics of great leaders. But I submit to you, it needs to be a trait of all of our lives because we will find ourselves in places we don't want to be, in situations that are impossible. And in those places, can we learn to be strong and wait on the Lord? Because every time we try to do something good, there's going to be something bad that comes at us. Every time we try to have a spiritual advance, there is a pushback. And we find ourselves in these places of struggle and difficulty. And how do we handle these moments. So always when we think about this, I'm reminded of our scripture that we're going to read from Exodus 14. This scripture comes at one of the glorious moments for the nation of Israel. For centuries they had been enslaved in Egypt and they had prayed for deliverance and God sent Moses. God did miracle after miracle after miracle. Pharaoh relented, let them go. They were headed to the promised land. Glorious moment of joy and celebration. Everything they had longed for and yearned for was happening. And then you remember Pharaoh changed his mind. And he sent the army after them, the most powerful military force in the world. And so Pharaoh's army's coming on one side. They're pinned in by the Red Sea on the other. And they found themselves in this impossible situation. So let's turn to our Bibles now and let's read what happens. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. And if you don't have your Bibles, there's a few Bible before you or they'll flash the words. Let's hear together from the Word of God. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep 
still. I preached this scripture many times through the years. Normally, I have preached it on the subject of how do we handle trouble. But we're going to focus on a different verse this time because it's a picture of how to handle trouble. And we are no different than the children of Israel were. So easy in times of trouble, let's turn on our leaders, let's blame them. What did they say? Moses, what have you done to, this, uh, done to us? We, we told you that we didn't want to be in this circumstance. They turn on Moses, and then what do they do? They say, let's go back to where we were. You should have left us alone in Egypt, because at least we had something to eat. You brought us here now to be massacred, to die. They wanted to go back to where they were. They fussed, they griped, they complained. And I thought, poor Moses, can you imagine after all the things that he had done, all the leadership, and he is in an impossible circumstance. Pharaoh's army charging in, his, his own people fussing and complaining and angry and mad at him, the Red Sea on the other side, and Moses had to look to heaven and say, okay, Lord, what are you going to do now? because I don't have a clue what to do. Lord, it's just me and you now. Nobody else is with us. And I can almost hear God saying, yes, now I've got you where I want you. When you realize you can't do a thing and it's me and you there, now we'll get to work. And so God speaks to Moses and he goes to the people and he gives them this powerful word. Verses 13 and 14 are one of those incredible life scriptures urge us to underline it and to type it out and put it on our refrigerator. This is a word that we need to hear time and time again. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. That's our word. When we find ourselves in a place that we don't know what to do and it seems impossible, be still and know that the Lord will fight for us. Someone gave me a wonderful book that I've loved about Chip and Joanna Gaines, The Magnolia Story. Chip and Joanna Gaines, The Fixer Upper Show. I absolutely love that as they redo the houses in Waco. And it's really a wonderful story if you haven't read the book. And they tell their story. They started out by flipping houses and starting small businesses, and things were going very well. But they had a, a key moment in life that they were about to lose everything. They were just doing small little jobs, and they decided to invest in a big way and develop a neighborhood and build all the houses. So they went to the bank and got financing, and they were all in. Everything they had, they risked on this project. And then you remember kind of the economic downturn in 08 and 09 and 10. They were starting this project, and the bank all of a sudden had some different lending rules, and they were about to go broke. They couldn't make it. They couldn't see the project through. They invested everything they had in it, and they said, we didn't know what to do. We talked to everybody that we could. We tried everything, and we could find no way. And so they just stood still and prayed. And they said it was amazing how the Lord fought for them in strange ways. They made it through day by day. And just around the corner, they would start the TV show, and their business would take off in a huge way. Looking back at those days when they were in the bottom, and they didn't know what to do, I love how Joanna Gaines put it. She said, maybe getting to the bottom all those times, and especially that time, was some sort of a test, a test of will maybe, a test of faith, a test of our resolve to stay the course and following our dreams and to do the right thing. 
When it came to how we treated others, I don't know. What I do know, looking back on it now, is that all of these big life-changing things were right around the corner for us at the moment. And if we had given up, if we had walked away, if we had crumbled when we were at our lowest, we never would have made it around the corner to see all of the blessings that were about to come due. See, that's the lesson. When we're at that place, be still, dig in, and wait on the Lord. Be still and let him fight for us. So I want us to really think about that. I want us to dive in to that verse 14 because I think it's a huge promise that can see us through this journey of life. So as we think about it, three things, three words I want to mention that I think happened to us in that waiting time. And the first is we learn what life is really all about. You see, so often when we're successful, when things are going well, we, we kind of live on the surface of life. It's only when we're in a, in a mess and we can't fix it and we don't know what to do, I think that in that place we go deep within ourselves and we find strength, we find insights about God. That's the place we discover life. Because in that difficult place, when we go deep, we understand that you and I are not nearly as in control of life as we think we are. And so much happens that we can't control and we can't fix. And when we go deep, we understand that our culture's view of life is wrong than Jesus' kingdom view because we think in manufacturing terms and God thinks of growing in agricultural terms. You see, we want to make things happen Jesus said God grows things in our lives. We want to force things when it's not right. And, and, and the kingdom says you have to understand the rhythms and the seasons of life. And you can't always control what's going on around you. Parker Palmer wrote this wonderful little book called Let Your Life Speak. And I've quoted from it often. If you haven't read it, it's one of those must-read classic books on the Christian life. But I love what he says, something very insightful about this. He says this, we do not believe that we grow our lives. We believe that we make them. Just listen to how we use the word in everyday speech. We make time. We make friends, we make meaning, we make money, we make a living, we make love. From an early age, we absorb our culture's arrogant conviction that we manufacture everything, reducing the world to mere raw material that lacks all value until we impose our designs and labor upon it. If we accept the notion that our lives are dependent on the cycle of seasons, on a play of powers that we can conspire with but never control, we run headlong into a culture that insists against all evidence that we can make whatever kind of life we want, whenever we want it. Deeper still, we run headlong into our own egos, which want desperately to believe that we are always in charge. You see what that says? When we have that manufacturing kind of mindset, it's absolutely wrong because we start to think that, that life is the raw material and we make it and we shape it and we form it. The kingdom view of agriculture says, no, we, our lives are the raw material and God shapes and folds and folds and grows us. You know who got that? The old hymn writer, when he wrote that beautiful hymn, got to the heart of that, and it is so true. Remember how he put it? 
The old hymn writer said, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. I love that. We're the, the clay that God is molding and shaping and, and, and growing. And when we find ourselves in an impossible spot, we can't fix it. We need to be still and let God do his work and grow us into his plans. I, I saw a wonderful illustration of this Monday on the news. You may have seen it. There was a lady in our community who had a terrible, difficult time, moment of tragedy and grief. Her husband of 60-something years, she had been caring for him, died. And at this, about the same time, she discovered that she's in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And she was so caught up with grief and despondency that she was very depressed. She wasn't herself. And yet out of this terrible moment, she went deep into her soul and discovered something beautiful that's changed everything. You may have seen it. Let's watch this clip from Monday night on Channel 8. Well, we've always known that music can be great therapy when you have the blues, but that message is taking on a whole new meaning for a woman in Carrollton. Sarah Hoy shows us how she used music to find what was lost. Good. good. Great. Meet Georgie Wilcox. Not Georgia, Georgie. My last name is Wilcox, spelled with two L's. The 86-year-old lives at a nursing home in Carrollton. She's got spunk, but that wasn't always the case. Georgie is one of millions of Americans suffering from Alzheimer's. Her daughter Jeannie says the diagnosis hasn't been easy. She kept denying it, but I knew that something was wrong because she would ask me the same questions over and over. Even tougher, losing the love of her life in November. Georgie and her beloved Rexy met at church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Boy, I, I immediately fell in love with him. I mean, immediately. The two had been married for 67 years. So he was in and out of hospitals and rehabs, and my mom stayed with him the whole time. After he died, Georgie fell into a depression. She was inconsolable until one day when something happened. She decided to sit down at the piano and started playing. Residents and staff couldn't help but notice. They had never heard her play before. Georgie learned to play when she was a little girl and played for decades. Outside of her family, no one knew. She stopped years ago, but this piano brought it all back. In an instant, the music became her medicine. Music is just a, it's a language of its own and expresses itself in thousands of ways. gives her life. To me, it's the expression of your soul, how you 
feel about things, you know. You can, you can find a song that will express almost any emotion. Georgie is back. She loves to play for our neighbors, and we love to hear her play, and it's just warmed our hearts. Her improvement has been remarkable. We started noticing a change in her, and it was great to see that the power of music and the effect that it had on her. Her daughter sees it too. Alzheimer's is not the end, that you still can have, a, you know, a life. She's always loved to play the piano. I mean, it's just no work for it. With new purpose, Georgie is now at peace. Death is not a fearsome thing for me. I don't particularly want to die, but I'm not afraid of dying. Sarah Hoy, Channel 8 News. Isn't that a beautiful story? I just think that's awesome. It was in that terrible place where she was stuck in a circumstance she never wanted to be. She went deep and discovered the music of her soul and found her medicine and her healing. It's what happens in that waiting time. We learn not to just live in the shallow end of the pool of life, to go deep and discover God's kingdom that sometimes is not lived out in our culture. So first word, second word is we discover endurance. We remember this race of life doesn't go to the fastest, doesn't go to the most talented. It goes to the one who keeps with it, particularly the one when they get knocked down, they get up again and try the best to go and they get knocked down again and they get up again. Endurance is the key to a life of faith. And in the waiting time, we learn that. My grandson, Jack, is four years old and he loves to play shoots and ladders. So I don't know if any of you have any grandchildren or children that age. I bet you're familiar with that game, Shoots and Ladders. Now, Jack always wins, and Dodo comes in second, and Dee Daddy is always in last place. And so anyway, that's the way it goes. But we have a lot of fun with that. But it's interesting, as we were playing and I was thinking about it, Shoots and Ladders is a metaphor for life for me right now. And if you're in a difficult spot and you're stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, it could feel like we're playing shoots and ladders. Let me tell you what it, the game looks like for me. It feels like every time I spin, I get a one. So I'm inching along this board thinking, Lord, please let me get a ladder. Let me get away from this. I'm, I'm tired of just slogging along. But what do I catch? Every single shoot. I inch along one at a time and then I get a shoot. I'm back to the beginning. And then I inch along one at a time and I get a shoot and I'm back to the beginning over and over again, slogging through this life business. And sometimes I think, Lord, I don't want to play anymore. You can't give me a ladder. I quit. But you can't quit. The truth of the matter is we need endurance. You have to just stay with it. That's what we learn when we're stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. I have a picture outside my office that just means so much to me. It makes me smile, it makes me happy, and it gives me a message. That picture is one of the saints of our church, Mr. John Buffalo. Mr. Buffalo is kind of one of my heroes. He went to heaven a few years ago, but he was in our Bible study, and he's one of those people, so wise, very soft-spoken, but every now and then in Bible study, he would speak, and it was like E.F. Hutton 
When Mr. Buffalo speaks, we leaned in because it was going to be good. And every time I see his picture, I remember something he said. He had been president of a railroad company. And he said, in life, don't get off the train until it gets to the station. And I think he's right. Because how often in that tough spot, we want to quit. We want to give up. We don't want to play anymore. We just want to quit this game and this business. But we don't need to get off the train till we get to the station. It's what Moses was telling the children of Israel. Just stand firm, dig in. Let the Lord fight for you. Don't quit. Have endurance. Harry Emerson Fosdick, that great Baptist preacher of the last century, really gets to the heart of this in a a beautiful way. And I love what he said. He said, a very serious test of human fiber is involved in the fact that there's so many good beginnings and poor endings. Good starters and good stayers are not necessarily the same people. Ardor, excitement, the flare of good intentions, such forces set people going, but they do not enable them to carry on when the going is hard. That requires another kind of moral energy, which evidently is not so common as the first. Plenty of people are equipped with efficient self-starters. They get away easily. They're off with fleet eagerness, but they peter out. They soon stick in the sand or stall on a high hill. But Moses has said, don't do that. Stay with it. Dig in. Stand firm. Be still. And let the Lord fight for you. You and I don't need to get off the train until it reaches the station. Then the third word that this scripture is all about is trust. You see, they're, they're fussing and they're complaining. And Moses, why did you do this to us? Why did you take us there? And when he answers, what he's saying is, guys, don't you see? God has been leading you, guiding you on this journey. God didn't deliver you and do all those miracles just to see you get killed. And one week after we started... This is his plan. It's not ours. You need to trust. And I think that's the lesson we need to learn when we feel in an impossible spot and we're stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. We need to remember that what we know is not all that there is. The story isn't over. You and I don't need to put a period where God has put a comma. We need to know that there is more to come in this story and the way we respond is to trust. May not be able to do anything else, but we trust. And when we live by trust, I think we live in the beautiful words of Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. I love the way the psalmist put it. This is how we respond. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Oh, God Rest my deliverance, own God, rest my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Trust in him at all times. We're going to close with, a, with an old prayer I have in my file that I love. The old preacher was going through a terrible time of tragedy and grief, and his heart was broken. But he stood up before his congregation, and this is what he prayed. He prayed, Dear Lord, we thank you for being with us during this difficult time. When Moses and the children of Israel were caught at the Red Sea, you didn't lead them over it or around it or under it. You led them through it. 
And now in the same way when we're in trouble, you don't lead us over it or around it or under it. No, Lord, you lead us through it. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for our deliverance. Amen. May that be our prayer. And when we find ourselves in an impossible situation stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, be still. Dig in, stand firm, and let the Lord fight for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is our story. You remind us again and again in these times of trouble that we can't fix it. It seems impossible. We don't know what to do. And in those moments, we are still and we trust you and we allow you to fight in us. In those moments, Lord, where we wait, there are lessons to be learned. There is endurance to be gained. And we learn that we live by trust. Our hope is in you. Our hope is on you. So, Lord, may not these be words that we talk about and philosophize about. May these be the way that we live with conviction that you will see us through. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stay.